Good evening and welcome to the February 2019 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, with Valentine's Day being celebrated this month, we thought it was a great opportunity to catch up with Davey Wavy and his new colleague, relationship coach Finn Deerhart. It's going to be a packed hour talking about intimacy, relationships, and sex. So please note, the content we'll be discussing may not be suitable for all young listeners. But if you're ready, stay with us, because it's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, February 24th, 2019. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of February 24th, 2019. A gay man in Utah wants to help police find the person who attacked him for being gay, and he has a video. Sal Trujillo of Salt Lake City said that he was out with friends this last Saturday night when he was approached by an alleged assailant. He was making homophobic and misogynistic comments, according to Trujillo. The victim started recording, and the man said, quote, Are you gay, though? Trujillo can be heard responding that he is. Oh, so you are gay, the man said, before punching Trujillo in the arm and knocking him over. Trujillo said that the alleged assailant continued to call him a faggot and pulled out a knife. When the group called the police, he went to his car and drove away. Trio said that his injuries weren't severe. And while reported violence and hate crimes directed at LGBTQ people continues to rise here in the United States, a video game company just released a new game where Jesus, Trump, and Hitler kill LGBTQ people. It's called Jesus Strikes Back at Judgment Day. This new online game allows players to control Jesus, Trump, Hitler, and other world leaders and kill LGBTQ people, feminists, and illegal aliens. Players can control an avatar of the aforementioned men, as well as Russian President Vladimir Putin, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro, and others. Players then reportedly face off against social justice warriors Antifa, feminists, and the Rainbow Reich, illegal aliens, actual terrorists, doctors, socialists, and the final boss, the radical, non-binary, gender-fluid, pansexual, humanoid Berkster. The game's creators say it's a satirical parody, not a political statement, testament, or propaganda. And then they go on to say that Jesus Strikes Back, Judgment Day, is simply a comedic video game and doesn't promote, advocate, condone, or incite violence against any individual based on gender, race, religion, nationality, political beliefs, or sexual orientation. And then in big bold letters... It says, this is a game. Even if the game's creators think killing marginalized people is just a joke that merely encourages players to see political violence as funny rather than a serious real-world problem that people actually die from, by passing off their game as satire, the game still contributes to the problem, whether it means to or not. And finally, here in California, Governor Gavin Newsom made history by hiring a transgender man as part of his administration's communications team. The appointment of San Francisco native J.P. Petricioni as Newsom's director of digital media is believed to make him the highest-ranking out-transgender appointee in state history. Petricioni worked for Newsom when he was mayor of San Francisco as his deputy communications director from 2004 to 2007. The official announcement of his hiring last week coincided with the 15th anniversary of when Newsom ordered city officials to marry same-sex couples shortly after he became mayor. For a calendar of LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. YouTube sensation Davey Wavy has been creating LGBT content both to entertain and advocate for many years. When last he was with us, he was launching a new project called Himeros TV. Now, just a year later, the online TV channel is in full operation, along with a regular podcast series featuring relationship coach Finn Deerhart. Both are with us tonight. Davey, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so surprised that you have me back a second time. (laughs) No, of course, of course. And also with us. you away? Not at all, not at all. I mean, uh, you're almost becoming a regular on this show. There we go. <laughs> and with you today is Finn Deerhart, who is part of your podcast uh, program and working with you on Himeros TV. Finn, welcome. Hey, thank you so much. Looking forward it's to awesome. getting to know you today. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm very excited. 
Excellent. Well, Davey, let's start with you. When last we talked, uh, you were just about to launch Himeros TV and that whole project with the podcast series. Tell us about it. Yeah, Himeros TV is an erotic website that has uh, explicit videos to help gay and bisexual men uh, explore their sexuality through connection and intimacy and it's a lot of fun. I mean, we often say it's a lot like porn, uh, but better because it has <laughs> it has all the nudity and all the explicit stuff that you like from porn, but with this added layer of um, concepts and messages that are created by experts like Finn to help you have the best gay sex of your life. <laughs> Excellent. So it's 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 a lot more instructional, if you will, in addition to being entertaining. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, if you want to watch it to to be aroused, you can certainly you can certainly do that. But um, I, I often say it's a lot like like dipping broccoli in chocolate. Like each video <laughs> at its core has a really good strong message, um, or a technique, or a strategy, something that you can apply to your own sex. Um, so after you watch a video, you might be like, "Oh, that that was that was really hot," but also I learned something. Okay, well, that's maybe a little different than the typical porn that you might log on to watch. And I know the podcasts really, I've listened to a bunch of them and they're a lot of fun. They're entertaining, but they are also very informative. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. Each week we release a different video on Himrose TV and, uh, you know, we didn't just want the video to kind of live in a vacuum on the site. We wanted to be able to discuss it. And, um, you know, Finn's part of the podcast. My best friend, Matthew Thomas is on it. And, and, we kind of talk about each video in the way that real people discuss sex and sexuality. And, you know, we have three very different experiences and perspectives. So it's, it's fun to kind of bounce all that back and forth. And hopefully we represent some of the perspectives of, of the audience. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And Finn, you added a, mm-hmm. an interesting perspective, I think. So as a coach, I mean, talk about your work. What, what is it that you do beyond the podcasts and how did you get connected with Davey? Um, I got, well, I'll start with the, 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 the back part. I got connected with Davey cause I do coach uh, gay and queer men here in the Bay area around sex and intimacy. And when I first started seeing some of the YouTube videos that, um, he was talking about what he was doing, my, I was just like, Oh, that is so cool. Um, I had been, you know, working with guys a lot around their use of porn and like what, role porn is playing in their lives and how I, th- I call it like the digital library of someone's desires. It's kind of an out- outsourcing of desire mm-hmm. and helping guys really figure out what it is that they're feeling in their own imaginations and, and what they want. So I saw Davey talking and I reached out to him and I was excited and surprised to, to hear back from him. I reach out to people quite a bit in my field and, you know, sometimes people get back, sometimes they don't. Um, so we connected and then that just turned into more, collaboration with each other over time and um Himeros tv has actually become a really interesting part of my work too because um it, in the in the work that i'm doing with the guys around here in the bay some of the stuff that comes up with the men ends up becoming part of the content that i write and share with Himeros tv as well so yeah I'm, I'm working in a spectrum with people and i'm not a therapist but i do psychotherapeutic models with people and coaching is a different animal. Like it's, I can do a lot more with my work that coaches that actually therapists can't do because of licensing and needing to put a little bit of a conservative uh, image out. So yeah, I, yeah, I've been doing this for a couple of years here in San Francisco. So I'm curious about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. what was, what would someone come to you for? For a a variety of things. Um, the biggest thing that's showing up right now for me in my work is, um, well, two things. One is guys that are dating and feeling really perplexed about their lack of connections with the, with dating and then having frustrations with um, like wanting dates and using Grindr and sex apps and then not really getting the connections that they're wanting. And then the other side of things, which I really am passionate about, is boyfriends and partners that are coming to me that have really kind of dead-end relationships or feeling like the, they imagine that they have no connection with their partner but um, uncovering – a lot of connection and potential with them um, after they really do some digging into themselves. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Mm-hmm. That sounds pretty unique to me. I mean, I've I've certainly heard of sex coaches and 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 therapists, but this is really pretty unique. I haven't heard of anyone who is diving into it at that depth. Are you unique that way? Um, no, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people out there doing different kinds of work in this field. Like I said, it's different from psychotherapy in the sense that they're just two different processes. And I do work closely with a couple of therapists in my life and in my work. Um, there are people in, since coaching isn't, isn't, you know, a licensed field where I have to be amenable to a particular set of criteria, Mm -hmm. I can do a lot more. So I can do explicit work with people. And there are people doing that kind of work in Tantra and like private practitioner work with Tantra um, or other like other models that they're similar to that. There's sexological body work, um, but there are different types of work out there like that. So I kind of have my hand in several different pots and some of it's just talking. Some of it's actually applied and like with touch. So it just kind of ranges and depends on what the person who's coming to me needs. Interesting. 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 Um, so let's talk about Humeros TV and you talked about it being, you know, a type of, I don't want to call it porn because it seems like it's a whole lot more than that. And I, I don't know, maybe I've just got some ideas around that word porn, but it seems to be a lot more intimate, a lot more, um, purposeful, so, Davey, talk about where really what you're trying to do with this and how you got into it. I mean, you're doing so much more than just filming porn. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting, the word porn. And, and I've kind of gone back and forth. And, you know, is this porn? Isn't it? And, and you can see on one <laughs> hand, you could see like people, you know, listening to this being like, all right, you're filming gay men having explicit sex. Like, girl, <laughs> let's call it what it is. It's porn. But at the same time, you know, for me, one of our directors said, he's like, well, it's all about the intention and the intention in porn is for someone to watch it and be aroused. Um, and while that is one of our intentions in creating this content, it goes a lot deeper than that. Um, so I kind of, I often describe it as, as erotic content or erotic videos, cause it feels a little bit less loaded, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, broader, but for me, I mean, I've always just created content around the things that I'm passionate about. And I remember when I was like, you know, in college, I had a boyfriend and we had just had sex and we were laying on bed. Um, he, he looked at me and he was like, you know, having sex with you is like having sex with a porn star. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was like the biggest compliment that I could possibly get because I was, my (laughs) only experience of gay sex Mm -hmm. was watching porn Mm -hmm. and I was replicating, you know, in the bedroom, what I was watching on my computer screen. Um, and the fact that he could recognize that I felt like it was, you know, mission accomplished. Uh, and, and he was like, no, like Dave, that's, that's not a compliment. Like (laughs) that's not, that's not where I'm going with this. (laughs) And it took me years to realize like what he was pointing towards with that statement. Um, and I think, you know, I'm 35 years old now, uh, I think if you were to ask me five years ago if I was having great sex, I probably would have said yes. But as a result of the work that I'm doing with Himeros, I know that my experience of sex has evolved dramatically. And looking back, I would say, well, I was having like, I was having okay sex. The thing is, of course, okay sex still feels really good. <laughs> so in the, in the time, and if you don't know any better, you know, you think it's great sex. I'm also aware of the fact that in 10 or 15 years, I might look back and think that the great sex that I think I'm having now, you know, um, that I still had a lot of room to grow. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is that, that this project, um, I'm approaching it as very much a student, um, and working with people in the, you know, in the field that have a lot more experience and wisdom and knowledge than I do. And the idea is that, you know, my audience is kind of holding my hand and we're kind of stepping through this door together and discovering uh, a world of sexuality that goes so much beyond what we've been fed and conditioned by the porn that we watch. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head on why your TV station, I'll call it that, why your your product is so much different than just the normal everyday studio produced porn is that you've got a, this is very personal for you. It sounds like. 
Yeah, and I can I can explain. I guess it sounds very abstract, but I can explain some of the ways that it's it's different. Um, you know, I I don't think people um, often realize like how traditional porn is made, and there's a lot of um, like performance enhancing drugs that go into it. There's a lot of stopping and stopping. A lot of it is um, isn't real, like what you're seeing, the expressions. Um, it's it's all kind of staged and often fake. Um, and what we're doing is presenting something that's, uh, that's authentic. And, um, you know, when you do that, there's certain things that happen in real life. Like maybe someone, you know, doesn't get an erection during the entire duration of, of, of a scene. Um, and that becomes like a great discussion point, for example. And when we watch porn, we have really unrealistic expectations around, mm-hmm what those, you know, erections sure. are and what they mean and, and around our partner having one and ourselves, you know, having one. Um, and, uh, we present something that's, that's, that's real. So if, if a guy loses his erection, that's, that's what happens and, <laughs> you know, and, and we go with it. Um, so, I mean, that's just one example of, of many, but, um, it, it creates something that's, that's very different. And some people get really inspired by those differences and they say, wow, this is really freeing to see stuff that's representative of real life. And then some people get really frustrated and they'll say, well, you know, that guy isn't hard. Uh, they're not even into each other. And Mm -hmm. yet how often have we in our own experiences been with a partner and not been able to get hard despite, and maybe sometimes because we're so into him, Mm -hmm. Uh, so all those all those moments though are really juicy, uh, interesting discussion points that we can then dive deeper into and and, and talk about. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so talk about what the last year's been like for you. I mean, you were doing you've done a tremendous amount of YouTube work, a lot of it playful, a lot of it um, activist related. You know, over the years, and you said you know obviously you watched a lot of porn growing up, and now you're writing it and making it and on the set, what's that been like for you? Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it's, it's been the most purposeful project or experience in my life, creating content for him, Rose TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just before we went on air, I was sharing a, a letter that I got from a viewer with Finn, um, about how affected he was by seeing the content that we create. Um, and to do something that's like, something you love driven by your passion in a way that helps other people. For me, that's like, that's as good as it gets. Um, having said that it's, it's a tremendous amount of work. Um, and, uh, we release a Himrose TV video every week and that's in addition to, you know, generally a video a week on YouTube. So it's a lot of content creation. Uh, I've been lucky to work with folks like Finn and some really talented directors and, tantric sex coaches, um, to be able to, um, collaborate and, and, and make all of this possible. Um, cause there's no way that, that on my own, I'd be able to do, you know, uh, you know, even a, like 10% of this. Right. So who, you have people that obviously do the editing and putting this all together for you, or are you doing a lot of that behind the scenes work yourself? No. So I, I work with directors and, um, they often edit their own work. You know, the the reality is, like, I could try to direct some of this content, but there's people out there who are who do this for a living, who are, are talented storytellers and directors and cinematographers, and not all of them work in porn, but some in more mainstream filmmaking. And for me, if I want to create content that's, you know, at the level that I that I, you know, aspire to create, then, like it means hiring the people that, that, that do those jobs. Um, so it's not me picking up a camera and trying to film something. It's, it's working with someone that's, you know, created documentaries or that's worked for national geographic and, um, putting together something that, that makes gay sex as fabulous as, as, you know, we, as dynamic and interesting as it, as it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of people have this idea that producing, an erotic video would be an erotic experience itself. But you mentioned it's it's obviously a lot of work. What have you found? Has it been exciting for you or has it dampened your appetite? Mm-hmm. So 
So I've been on both like traditional porn sets and then obviously what we do with Himeros. And I can say without hesitation that traditional porn sets are not sexy at all. Like it's, <laughs> it's actually like fairly horrible. Um, and people are injecting, you know, their genitals with drugs to keep erections. And I, like, it's just oftentimes the models are straight, like they're stopping and starting the filming and it goes on for like eight hours and the models are tired and exhausted and usually not into each other. Um, it's, it's, it's horrible. And it's hard to then watch porn after you know how it's made. <laughs> so, um, so that's very much not sexy. Uh, what we do when we film something, we try not to do, you know, stopping and starting. We try to let the models have an authentic expression of their connection. We do workshops to help um, build the chemistry and to help the models understand what it is that we're trying to demonstrate in the concepts. Um, and there definitely are times where, I mean, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, okay, like what time is lunch arriving? I need to make sure someone's there to let them in. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about the hotel rooms that everyone's in and making sure the train is still moving, but there's definitely been times when we're filming where I kind of get caught up in, you know, the deliciousness that's unfolding in front of me. Um, we, we did one video that Finn's gonna, <laughs> I'm nervous, I'm laughing. yeah, Finn, we, we were on set together. Do you want to tell the story? Oh, sure. We were watching, um, well, we were just watching some really intense, uh, oral action and I'm looking over at Davey uh, well actually everybody in the room is a little just like dialed in and really paying attention really heavily and I looked over at Davey and his mouth was just kind of like hanging open and ghost sucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the stage mom you know yeah. when she's watching her kid perform I was like <laughs> I was like <laughs> the sideline yeah but, it was a really, it was this really beautiful scene between this um, model uh, named Kenneth, who is in a wheelchair, he's quadriplegic, um, and and uh, another model that we've worked with, and it was just like it was a really intense moment. And and, and so there's an example of a difference right there. I don't think that there's a lot of porn that goes to seek the real life experiences of people, including those who are in a wheelchair. I mean, yeah. it, the models are all kind of the same, right? They all have sort of that same look or that same aesthetic. And One of my goals was in creating the site, when people log on to the site, they would see some of those models that they know and they love and that they follow. Um, and for marketing reasons, you know, that's kind of important. But I also wanted people to be able to see reflections of themselves. Um, one of the models we've worked with is 84 years old. Um, you know, we, we've the reality is most of us aren't 20 year old porn stars with, you know, six pack abs. And I wanted to create a reflection of real life. And Kenneth, the, the model who's um, in a wheelchair, he sent me an email saying, you know, I, I know you're looking for models to work with and I've always wanted to get into the industry. And, um, he, he had a cheerleading accident when he was 18. And he said that now that he's in a wheelchair and he's paralyzed from the biceps down, he said it's it's difficult to get people to look at him as a like sexual human being. Mm-hmm. He, he said, in fact, it's difficult to get people to look at him at all as he's going down the street. People kind of look away. And um, he wanted to be seen as sexy and worthy of touch and affection. So I asked him what his ideal scene would look like. And, um, and he described it. And I said, I can do that. And so we flew him out to Palm Springs. Wow. And, and we shot a really, really beautiful scene with him and um, we posted it a few weeks ago and um, he's, he's just loving all the, <laughs> the attention that he's been getting. <laughs> I think he's, he's going on the Howard Stern show and it's oh, really wow. been this like great experience. Really? For yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Mm. So <laughs> I, I don't even know what to, I don't even know what to ask you. I'm so curious about that. I mean, that really yeah. must have been a life changing moment for him, and for so many other people who are looking to see themselves in that situation. Well, I, I mean, it's almost like so. I did a YouTube interview with him as well, where he talked about he gave he gave his scene a little bit more context, and and it got covered in so many different places. And it's almost like it's awesome that it's gone viral because 
it's an important message, but it's almost like it's gone viral for the wrong reasons because like we're somehow surprised that a man in a wheelchair is, you know, like mm-hmm. horny and that he, you know, has sexual desires just like the rest of us and and um, that he would want to enact those on camera in a way that it, like it's he's just like everyone else. So it shouldn't be surprising to, to know that he he wanted sure. to film this. And when we did it, when we filmed it, we made sure to do it in a way. Uh, we worked with a disability consultant um, in Toronto named Andrew Gerza. And one of the things he said was important was to to show that the pleasure that both models were experienced, to show like the real genuine connection that the guys have. And for me, that's what this is a video about. It's about two guys with this you know great connection having a really fun time. Uh, and then it just so happens that one of those guys is in a wheelchair, but it's not the focus of the film. It's just part of the reality of, of, of Kenneth's situation. Um, and people, it really like, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot for people. <laughs> it was a lot for people. Yeah. 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 That's really, really cool. Well, let's shift a bit and talk about some ideas for creating a closer connectivity and intimacy in a relationship. Finn, do you think that for same-sex couples that building intimacy is more difficult than perhaps for opposite-sex couples? Um, I do, and I, it's, I hesitate to generalize about that um, because I think depending on one's you know individual, like um, how it was at home for, for this person or in, you know, it doesn't matter if you're gay or straight or trans or whatever, you're going to have some degree of good enough parenting or not. And there are extreme cases all over the place, but I think as a whole, yes, it is more uh, challenging for, for gay men to form really good relationships because of the degree of trauma mm-hmm. um, that everyone has uh, experienced. And so, especially around sex, um, you know, so many gay men were not, I mean, everybody that has ever lived in this country has had some degree of shame around sex and, and had to deal with messages and, and enculturation. But there's like a heightened level of being just like wrapped up and like hidden in gay men's lives or, you know, where many years where you're even in the closet or never, ever like being able to explore openly or even share with somebody about your, who you are on the inside. So it does create a really intense dynamic, um, of living like a false self and also just straight up abuse too, you know, like from families and from, Mm people at school. And so when one comes into adulthood and gets into relationships, that doesn't go away. Um, and so those are attachment wounds and they happen from childhood onward. I mean, so there's a lot of difficulty in forming a lasting attachment and there's so much emphasis on, um, sex and the gay culture. I mean, in some ways it's wonderful. I, you know, I think it's like, you know, gay people live outside of the norm. So on one hand, it's a blessing because, we have the ability uh, to craft relationships that really work with our sexuality and to be inventive with our relationships, you know, because we're not really adhering to a social structure that's demanding it look a certain way. Uh, and at the same time, there's this huge burden of a lack of belonging and, and being able to assimilate and fit into. So these are all forces that really impact gay men and the level of disconnection that a lot of gay men experience in the relationships is just kind of accepted as how it is. And like with attachment theory, uh, there's just so much where you need to have an open dialogue going about your sexuality. You need to have an open dialogue going about your feelings and all these, these, you know, gay guys are coming all the time to me where, they don't even know how to talk about those things because of the way that they are reared because, you know, they haven't had an opportunity to talk about mm-hmm. their feelings, you know, let it, let alone being gay, you know, being a man in general hasn't really, we haven't been gifted with a breadth of vocabulary to talk about feelings and what's happening for us on, in, in our bodies, you know, when we're experiencing a trigger or whatever. Um, so you just get all that compounded on top of each other. And then, you know, the gay scene to the sex that it's the central connecting piece between gay men in the culture. Um, and I think as a reaction against 
having to be repressed for so long, this like demand for permission. And it just creates a bunch of stuff to have to sort out in relationship. And it's really challenging for guys. Yeah. And I have a theory. I think some of this is generational too. And I, and Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, if you're a young person growing up, let's say you're in your, your twenties now, you've grown up with gay people, great gay culture, and at least the concept of marriage and family and kids Mm -hmm. your entire life. Whereas if you're in your sixties or seventies, you grew up in a time when that wasn't even a dream. Um, mm. and, and I think that a lot of particularly older men then grew up in a time where it was really about um, very limited connection, perhaps, with somebody mm. else, uh, a series of one-night stands, and a long-term relationship in the form of what we call marriage today It wasn't even on the roadmap. Right. Do you think that... that the generation may dictate maybe one's even ability to have an experience of what a long-term relationship is like. Absolutely. I do. Yeah. Because those, our relationships are influenced by forces that are not just, you know, about dating. It's like you were mentioning, you know, what's happening in the the climate of the time socially and culturally. And yeah, there, I mean, a lot of younger people today, don't really understand even like the despair that I have encountered in older men and in some of the older clients that I've seen, because they don't even sometimes have a way to hold on to possibility. There's some, I actually just recently was um, started working with an older man and hearing him just try to grapple with the idea that someone could love him. It, it was really moving, and I just it was like very different than um, working with a younger person who just kind of assumes um, that they are going to find someone and that they are you know experiencing dates and have the ability to do that fluidly all over the place and via apps. It's just a different world. Yeah, no, you really. Know, my, go ahead. My boyfriend is 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 twenty one, and I'm thirty five, so there's this fourteen year difference, and. He just came out of the closet uh, in August, and what's so astounding to me is that, like, whenever we're in public or we're walking down the street, he's always holding my hand or kissing me or canoodling mm. me and, <laughs> like, showing his affection very publicly. And I just think about myself, you know, like, when I was his age and when I was coming out of the closet, the last thing I wanted to do was to you know, engage in some form of like public affection because I had so much shame and so much guilt around my Mm -hmm. sexuality. And I was so terrified of how other people might perceive me. And yet, you know, only 14 years later, which in the big scheme of history is nothing. Um, you know, he's just in a situation where, where that shame and guilt was not a part of his growing up experience. Now, of course, that's not to say that that's the case with, with everyone. There's certainly 21-year-olds that live mm-hmm. in incredibly oppressive environments, uh, both in the United States and around the world. But you can kind of see this this new generation of queer people where he, he, he – when you meet him, he kind of seems like – like the mannerisms of like a, a frat boy, like he comes across as masculine and yet, you know, he paints his nails and he <laughs> loves that my voice is high pitched and feminine. And he just doesn't have the hangups that, hmm. <laughs> that us like older gay guys wow. really get caught up on, you know? Yeah. That's well, awesome. you mentioned, Finn, I think it was you that mentioned, you know, the number of partners that gay men have. Um, and I think I read a statistic recently that the average straight guy has eight sexual partners in his life, but for the average mm-hmm. gay man, the number's closer to a thousand. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, good for us. Good for <laughs> us. I mean, what what's, do you mean, what's up with that? Why do you think that that is? Well, I think it's complex, actually. I think, for one, pleasure is great, and we want to experience pleasure. Um, like I had been mentioning before, we live outside the boundaries of, in a way, what's expected of us from a relational perspective and culture and also from like sexual behavior. Um, so we get the ability to just, you know, formulate what kind of sexual expressions we want. You know, that's a, that's a blessing um, in being an outlier. Um, at the same time, there is a simultaneous um, like burden of like, it's like, you know, my question is, I don't think that the pursuit of pleasure is what's actually driving all of that all the time because pleasure in and of itself is um, it's our natural birthright. It feels amazing. We want 
But if you look at the culture and what's actually happening, so much of the sex is happening under the influence of substances. So much mm-hmm. of it is happening in environments where one doesn't actually have to always be authentic. Um, just the anim- anonymity around sex, too, it bears a certain kind of expression. So uh, it's both, you know, it's like, yeah, we get to have fun and no one is completely um, expecting us to just, you know, get married and get a corporate job and do this and that and keep on going in a certain trajectory. But at the same time, there's a an acting out, I think that happens with a lot of guys. And, and the proof is in how is that happening? You know, so that's the, that's the difference between like exploring a path like Tantra versus just hooking up with as many people as you possibly can and being drunk every time you do it, you know, it's not to moralize and say, oh, one should not do that. It's just to raise a question and go, are you actually comfortable with pleasure? Are you actually comfortable in your body? Um, do you really believe that you're worth having this? You know, those are the questions. And so it's kind of, it's a complex layer of, and even other things that I'm not even really getting into at the moment, but yeah. yeah, and like, how are how are you using sex? Like, like, are you using it to try and fill a a, a void? And I don't mm-hmm. just mean a physical void. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, the you know the the hole in your heart is that what you're trying to fill? Like, right. it's like I'm all about being a slut, but uh, you know, it's like that scene in in uh, the Wizard of Oz where she's like, "Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Are you a good <laughs> slut or a bad slut? <laughs> like, what is what is your motivation? What's driving you?" Um, yeah. And, I think some people use sex like a drug and, and, and that can be, you know, problematic and, and complicated. And, um, it's a, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And I also too want to just add to, because there's a lot, I mean, there's criticism and backlash around things like, um, grinder and, uh, like the word addict gets thrown in there, like sex addict. And I actually don't really subscribe to the addiction model or pathologizing what's happening. But what I do think is important and to be highlighted is that, um, like grinder is great for what it is. It allows you to make connections with other men to have sex. And I know that some people, you know, find their partners on there and, but it's not the tool that's, um, being used is the problem. It's like, what, what's motivating the, um, the reach, you know? So it's not, oh, you shouldn't do it so much. It's just looking in deeply and, and asking yourself, like, what do I need? And is this sex actually really reflecting um, who I am and the kind of pleasure that I really want to experience in my life and in my body? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe we're just making an assumption, too, about what we think men want, gay men want. I mean, it's been 16 years now since same-sex consensual acts were legalized across the country. We have marriage equality now. Long-term mm-hmm. commitments are can be out. They're accepted generally by society, friends, and family. But maybe gay men don't necessarily want that. What do you mm-hmm. think? Um, you know, it's tricky because I think it's hard to generalize because I do hear this back and forth. You know, I think you're talking about like marriage equality. Um, people criticizing, and I've heard people have a lot of vitriol actually, like, "Oh, that's heteronormative," and I can't believe you'd want that. And um, in that criticism, I just hear that somebody hurts a lot, you know, and they hurt because they've been told that they're not worthy of having what they want. And I find that in the gay culture, there's a pressure, like a really big pressure to be like poly or in an open relationship or you're not quote unquote evolved. But I, I've been in lots of open relationships and I've never been, I've never been evolved until, you know, it's like, there's not just one relationship path. So I think you can be a really awesome participant in your relationship in a marriage or in an open relationship. It just really depends on the person and what that person needs for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. No, I just, and I don't, I agree. I don't know that we're, that we really know the answer to that yet. Um, because it, it, there are different experiences based on your generation and we're really just coming into a time when, People are born and growing up in a society that is arguably fairly accepting, mm-hmm. aware at least of what a same-sex relationship can look like in that greater scheme of marriage as a commitment and the white pickets fence and kids. Yes, and I, you know, relationship across the board. Again, it goes. I think beyond gay people specifically, it's a relationship thing. I mean, in our um, in our world today, relationship is 
it's being asked to fulfill so many things that it never did in history before. Like it's an existential union now for people where we find like our ultimate happiness and our best friend and our confident and like the person that's supposed to thrill us all the time and the person that's supposed to make us feel safe and, and, um, never doubt or never, you know, have to experience our pains. And it's a tremendous burden. So I think everybody's under revision about what relationship actually means. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and I do hear gay men say, I don't, I just want to be with this guy. I don't want to, you know, have two or three boyfriends or, you know, and then some people really do. And that really makes sense for them. So I just think people need to negotiate their needs um, and not subscribe to like a dogma around relationship. Right. I think it's pretty interesting, too, about the number of, of I'll call them hypocrites that are out there. These are the guys that always make other comments about people. Mm -hmm. They always make comments about other people who are hooking up online or Maybe they're going to Dory Alley or Folsom Street and they say, oh, what a slut. I would never do that or I don't associate <laughs> with people like that. And then you find out that they're the ones who are out there that are cheating on their partners or sneaking around on Grindr all the time. Uh, where does this need, do you think, to present such a moral image come from? <laughs> Oh, well, all the all the things that we've kind of discussed so far, you know, like um, a real terror with being in real relationship with oneself. Because, again, we haven't really inherited a safe, secure, encouraged model of what it feels like to be um, celebrated for who we are. And like, you know, here's how you do that. And, you know, in high school, you know, straight people are getting to be, you know, they're going to prom and everybody's making a big deal about their relationships, you know, and parents are getting all excited about it and taking pictures and not a lot of gay people have had experiences like that. Um, and so in adulthood, it's just really challenging to bring all those parts together. And mm -hmm. um, in, in those comments, you know, that, that people make, like it's, it's, it, there's a, I don't know. I think, I think we all have the ability later in life to look back at on those and, and see the transparency in them. I mean, when I was in high school, the kids who picked on me the most and bullied me the most about being gay mm -hmm. are now out and gay themselves. Um, and it makes sense because who else cares, right? Who cares that I'm gay, but someone mm -hmm. who <laughs> hates that gayness in themselves is going to hate it, you know, when they see it in someone else. Um, and, mm -hmm. or, you know, by attacking me for being gay, then it takes the spotlight off of them. Well, then they couldn't possibly be gay. It somehow makes them look more masculine and straighter. Uh, and so I think it's, it's the same way, like in, in, in calling someone, a slut and belittling them for the sex partners that they have. Uh, it's probably a reflection of their own struggle and, and, and where they're at. And you see that in YouTube comments, you see that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it's just part of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And in ways that are not just about sex. I mean, it's like a, a, a shadow of the psyche type thing, like your unconscious projections on the world are coming from your own head. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about the month of love, Valentine's Day. Uh, there are indeed a lot of couples who have been together for a long time out there. And, you know, maybe they're wondering about some ideas for how to recreate that first hookup <laughs> experience with their partner to sort of rekindle um, the excitement that comes from unwrapping the package the first time, if you will. Uh, I'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts from both of you. Well, I can tell you what my boyfriend and I are doing for, for Valentine's Day. Um, we're going to be uh, – we're going to Key West and we're trying to figure out something special to do. And I honestly believe that like this, this day and age <laughs> that the best <laughs> gift – I sound like I'm like 110 years old. It's today. <laughs> Uh, the best gift that you can give someone is, is your attention. Mm -hmm. Um, and so rather than like buy flowers or chocolates, we're going to spend an entire day where we, you know, put our phones in the hotel room safe and that we're really just present with each other. Um, and I think, I think that's going to be an incredible gift. And when we're not distracted by our screens and our phones and everything else, um, I, I think it's going to help rekindle some of that, you know, some of that passion and excitement and we'll probably have some great sex and, um, 
go on some walks and have a lot of intimate experiences. So that's my, I'm so stoked about doing that. So that's my, that's my suggestion. Put your phones away, give your partner the gift of your attention. And it's it's cheap. Well, except for the flight (laughs) to Key West, but putting your phones away, turning them off. Yeah, Yeah, you can do that. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Save your money. (laughs) I love it. Finn, what do you, what do you think? What's, what's some advice for people that want to rekindle a long-term relationship? Okay. Well, I love it. Actually, what Davey was saying, I think is right on point. Um, The gift of yourself. I think uh, people in relationships, it's funny. And I do this, I don't want to talk about people. Like I don't do it. Like we start to develop a way of being with our partners and we expect them to be a certain set of things. And it's like, that's who I go to for this, 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 and this. And then we're not like our best selves at home. And it's like an automatic thing. You might be in a great mood and you're out walking about and flirting with people and being like super cute and present and available. And you walk in the door and it's like, I'm shutting down. I've had a hard day. I just want to um, offload all the stuff that I've been dealing with onto my partner. And then I'm going to like, you know, like sit down on the couch and like watch TV. And that is not an exciting experience for a lot of people, you know? So, and I'm supposed to expect at that point that my partner is just going to be really excited about who I am. So I say, you know, Try to spend time, like when you first started hanging out with the person that you're hanging out with, you probably remember spending a lot of time thinking about this person in advance, like generating a lot of psychic energy towards the experience, like fantasizing about what you're going to do, you know, picking out clothes that you wanted to wear. I mean, there was a lot of energy going into the connection. So by the time you actually got to be around that person, there's like an explosion or like it, it like a, two magnets coming together. So I tell people, if you want to rekindle, you've got to get into that mind space again. You know, you can't just like take this person for granted and assume Mm -hmm. that, you know, this person, you have to continually show up, um, as your best self. And so like Davey said, put boundaries around devices, be in an erotic mindset, which is playful. So if you're like talking about finances and things that are stressful, you're not going to be in this part of yourself. That's like really playful and available for spontaneity and, you know, even sensation in your body. So make space and time. And people balk about that. They're like, I don't want to like make space in my schedule. I don't want to schedule sex nights or, you know, but it's not scheduling it as if making it a routine. It's just making space to where you are going to make sure that you're like a hundred percent there available, playful and down for whatever. And that's where it comes from. Yeah, and, so, and because so all of that, because all of that is free, Mm-hmm. You can also, with all the money that you've saved, get a membership <laughs> yeah. to himrose.tv for you and your partner to find all these nice. great, interesting ways to explore yes. your sexuality and play the sex games that we demonstrate. Mm-hmm. There you go. And Happy if you're Valentine's really struggling, Day. you can go with Indiehart.com <laughs> sessions. Well, we're going to get to that here in just a moment. <laughs> I have a couple more uh, bits of interrogation for you. Uh, yes. You know, I think there's a lot of young couples now, though, who are seeing um, the possibilities of a, of a long-term relationship much sooner in life. And so I know a bunch of people who have jumped into a long-term relationship barely turning 21, and they're running to the altar to get married. And then all of a sudden, they turn 30, and it, it's kind of dead. It, is it different for young people? Do you think that it's – well, I guess here's the better question – What's your advice for young people? Do you think they should jump into the first relationship that they fall in love with or put marriage off until things settle out in their 30s or 40s? Are you asking Davey or me? Both. (laughs) I've got some thoughts. (laughs) I think, okay, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say should, you know, like we learn how we do. And I got married. I was married to a woman and I got married at 23 and now we see where I'm at. So was that a valuable experience for me? Totally. It's part of why I do what I do and it's why I teach. But was it the relationship that was going to, you know, be my (laughs) nurturing nest until I got old? No, I don't. I think I would tell people, you know, slow down because being in your twenties, there's just so much that happens and you change so much and you're still finding a lot of who you are. And just to understand that marriage is such a commitment that, um, you know, you want to make sure that you really, really want to do that commitment because it actually is, is challenging to get out of. It's painful to get out of. It's expensive to get out of. It's, it's a lot of cleanup, you know? So that's my advice. Yeah. 
So, David, you're dating someone in their 20s. Oh, so I'll say this. My grandparents were, were married for 69 years. And when my grandfather finally died, my grandmother felt so liberated. <laughs> and she was so happy. <laughs> she had been miserable for like 50 years of her life. Oh, because no. she was from a generation where like you're in it for the long run. You know, like once you once you make that commitment, it's, you know, there till death do his part. Come hell or high water. And I think that sometimes in life, like we outgrow people in certain relationships and like the ability to step out of those when they're no longer serving us is, is, is really important. When I'm in a relationship, my goal isn't to be with that person forever and ever. My goal is to enjoy the time that we have together and know that people change and evolve over time. And sometimes that happens in a way that's comp- that complements each other. And sometimes it happens in a way that doesn't. And, and I think it's important to be able to step back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I know people point to like a high divorce rate as, as indicative of an issue, but I really think that maybe it's, it's people, you know, seizing an opportunity and saying, you know what, this doesn't work for me anymore. And, and maybe it's a, maybe it's a good thing. Um, mm. so, I mean, that's, that's, that's my perspective. And yeah, I'm, you know, in a relationship with a 21 year old, is it going to be a forever thing? Who knows? But we're going to be together for as long as it works for us. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. You know, that That's a tough idea, I think, to sort of to accept. And I think a lot of that comes from just the sort of cultural structure we've put around marriage and this idea of long-term commitment and what that really means. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and perhaps it's evolving for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's a harder idea to, to wrap your head around is being with someone in a relationship that makes you miserable. Right. <laughs> like, right. Seriously. Think, yeah, that's that's what the challenge is. Well, and, and, and religion teaches us that. They say, really, what they're saying is, you know, when you make that commitment, you put up with, no matter whether you're happy or not. It's the commitment that's more important than your happiness. Yeah. Well, and religion tells us lots of stupid things. And so <laughs> fortunately, we're free thinking human beings that have the ability to create our own experiences. Yes. Yeah. And I will say this, too, to add to that. I love what Davey was saying about um, relationships being what they are for a certain amount of time, because it's true. Like we actually naturally put, I think, um, the longevity of a relationship on the altar, like that's the indicator of a successful relationship. But actually, it could be really successful to step out whenever you realize that it's not what you you're not showing up for it and you don't want to. At the same time, I think it's, you know, marriage or in any long term relationship is really it's work, you know, and I'm in a three year partnership, which isn't that long term, but it's already really busted my ass. Um a lot in mm-hmm. making me have to, have to grow. So I think it's important for people to really understand that commitment is all in, but being clear if, if you really want to commit to it, that's the thing, you know, right. do I, it's just really something that I want to build in my life. That's the question, but yeah. marriage in of itself, isn't going to just like save somebody. Right. It is work. It is work no matter what type of words you put to title the relationship. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So, David, what uh, as you look back at the last year and all of the experiences you've had and all that you've witnessed and thought about, you know, what's what are the most important things you've learned? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I was chatting with a friend about that last night, and um, in particular, he was saying, "How has your how has your check your your sex changed, and and you know <laughs> what you're doing in the bedroom now that you're doing all this content?" And for me, it's actually it, it's changed in a way that's like simple but also profound and. Um, I would say that now when I'm with a partner, um, that I have, uh, the ability to communicate with that partner about what it is that, that I want, like what it is that I desire. Um, and I think five or 10 years ago, I couldn't do that because a, I didn't know what I wanted. I think a lot of people, um, and we have this experience on set. Sometimes we're working with models and we're crafting a scene and saying, what do you want? And they just kind of look at us blankly and say, I don't know. Um, we're not always in tune with what our body craves or what our desires are. Um, and then even if we do know what those things are, a lot of us don't quite have the courage to communicate those to, mm-hmm. to a partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, just that simple shift has really had profound changes in the way that I experience, um, sex. Uh, and, and it's been, I don't know, I still feel like, 
I keep saying this, but I still feel like I'm Alice falling down the rabbit hole that like for my whole life, I was taught that sex was what I saw in porn. And, um, and I got little glimpses that maybe there was more to it. And, and now that door has finally been opened for me and I'm just like plunging headfirst into this incredible playground, this experiment that we're doing. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm just so excited that I have, the platform to be able to, to share this, um, with other people. Yeah. And I think one of the themes, one of the messages that I've heard from the podcast that I've uh, listened to is that you really emphasize slowing down and smelling the roses and being more conscious about what you're doing with your partner. Is that a fair statement? Each, each video that we do kind of embodies different, um, different concepts and different, um, strategies and teachings from different coaches. I mean, that is certainly, I think, mindfulness um, in the way that you touch someone and how you touch yourself is, is a big part of it. But there's, um, you know, a lot of what we do is, is infusing gay sex and sexuality with joy. It's about approaching sex as an experiment. It's about discovering what feels good for you. I mean, there's really, there's so many layers to, to mm-hmm. pull back and, and there's so many things to... Um, to focus on that. I feel like we're going to be creating content until the day I die. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Probably, probably. And I think we could go on for hours talking about your work. Uh, Finn, where can people go to learn about your work and to find out what you've got coming up in terms of workshops? Um, Finndearheart.com. I put everything that I'm doing basically up on the site for different streams so that um, people can find events and also book me for private coaching um, and actually just read about the work that's uh, happening across all the fronts, even including the work that I do with Himmerose TV. Yeah, it's F-I-N-N-D-E-R-H-A-R-T.com. Perfect. And we will put a link on our website at OutBeatNews.com. So, Davey, what's coming up in the episodes of Himmerose TV that we should watch for? We have an upcoming video in March, March 18th, called Glory Hold. And then we're doing a great uh, video March 25th um, with a model who's HIV positive and an activist um, mm. talking about his experience. And it's called A, a World Without Fear um, and him interacting with a bunch of other models. And that's also really sexy and fun. So lots of good stuff. Yeah, our podcast is on Google Play Store, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just search Himeros Live. It's H-I-M-E-R-O-S, the word him and the word eros. Uh, and the website is just H-I-M-E-R-O-S dot TV. And if folks go to Himeros TV forward slash special, they can get three months for the price of one. Outstanding. Mm. And if you miss those websites, we'll have them on our own website at OutBeatNews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page. We've been talking with Finn Deerhart and Davey Wavy. Both of you are doing some pretty incredible and intense work. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for sharing it with us tonight. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And that wraps up our hour. My thanks to both Davey Wavy and Finn Deerhart for sharing this time with us. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at OutBeatNews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I give it You're broken down and tired Of living life on the merry-go-round And you can't find a fighter But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out Move mountains We gon' walk it out and move 
on air, online, or on the go, you're listening to Radio 91 KRCBFM Windsor and K215CQ Santa Rosa. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next. <laughs> 